If you've got your Bibles, turn with me to Jeremiah chapter 12 this evening. Jeremiah chapter 12. You know, Jeremiah was the son of the priest Hilkiah. And he grew up in the priestly settlement of Anathoth, which was situated in the borders of the tribe of Benjamin, about three miles north of Jerusalem. And he was born into a very tumultuous time period. I mean, the Assyrians' power uh, was beginning to wane, and Egypt and Babylon were kind, kind of vying to find out who was going to take supremacy next. And caught in the middle of these two heavyweights, uh, you know, one to the north and one to the south, was the little country of Judah. Uh, their northern brethren in Israel had already come to an end. Uh, they had been destroyed by the Assyrians several decades earlier. And so not only were a lot of changes taking place around the nation of Judah, uh, but lots of changes were taking place within the nation of Judah as well. Um, you know, uh, Manasseh had came on the scene and he had been the most vile and most wicked ruler that the nation had ever experienced. And uh, worse, what made that worse was he ruled for 55 years. And I'm not going to get political tonight, but these last two have seemed about 55 years. But, you know, I can just imagine. I mean, I get frustrated, you know, as many people do at our nation's politics sometimes and the direction that we're going. And I do think it. I think, man, 55 years. I mean, can you imagine the changes that would take place over a nation in that span of time? And so after he passed away, his son Ammon took over, and he was no better, but he only lasted two years before he was assassinated. And then a young man by the name Josiah took over, and Josiah wasn't raised by his wicked father. He was raised by some others who seemed to be godly individuals. And so when he came on and he got up to age, he realized how far removed the nation was from what God intended, and he began to make some great reformations there within the nation. And he began to pull down the idols and began to change things up and, and really tried to get them back on the right track again. But as great as the changes were that he made, they they were only followed really because of a royal decree, because he had the power to make those changes. But the fleshly nature of the people had been inflamed, and they, they longed to feed it once more. And so therefore, when Josiah died in battle, the people began to go back to their pagan practices under the wicked king Jehoiakim. And it was into this political and spiritual chaos that God called Jeremiah to minister. And so understanding the background, why don't we go ahead and stand in honor of reading God's Word. And we're going to begin here in chapter 12. And we're just going to read this particular chapter. It says, Righteous art thou, O Lord, when I plead with thee. Yet let me talk with thee of thy judgments. Wherefore doth the way of the wicked prosper? Wherefore are, all thy happy, are, are, wherefore are all they happy that deal very treacherously? Thou hast planted them, yea, they have taken root. They grow, yea, they bring forth fruit. Thou art near in their mouth and far from their reins. But thou, O Lord, knowest me. Thou hast seen me and tried mine heart toward thee. Pull them out like sheep for the slaughter and prepare them for the day of slaughter. How long shall the land mourn and the herbs of every field wither for the wickedness of them that dwell therein? The beasts are consumed and the birds and, and, and the birds because they said he shall not see our last end. If thou hast run with the footman, this is God answering back to Jeremiah now. He says, if thou hast run with the footman and they have wearied thee, then how canst thou contend with horses? 
And if in the land of peace, wherein thou trustest, they wearied thee, then how wilt thou do in the swelling of Jordan? For even thy brethren and the house of thy father, even they have dealt treacherously with thee. Yea, they have called a multitude after thee. Believe them not, though they speak fair words unto thee. I have forsaken mine house, I have left mine heritage, I have given the dearly beloved of my soul into the hand of her enemies. Mine heritage is unto me as a lion in the forest, it crieth out against me, therefore have I hated it. Mine heritage is unto me as a speckled bird, the birds round about are against her. Come ye, assemble all the beasts of the field, come to devour." Many pastors have destroyed my vineyard. They have trodden my portion underfoot. They have made my pleasant portion a desolate wilderness. They have made it desolate, and being desolate, it mourneth unto me. The whole land is made desolate, because no man layeth it to heart. The spoilers are come upon all high places through the wilderness, for the sword of the Lord shall devour from one end of the land even to the other end of the land. No flesh shall have peace. They have sown wheat, but shall reap thorns. They have put themselves to pain, but shall not profit. And they shall be ashamed of your revenues because of the fierce anger of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord against all mine evil neighbors that touch the inheritance which I have caused my people Israel to inherit. Behold, I will pluck them out of their land and pluck out of the house of Judah from among them. And it shall come to pass after that I have plucked them out, I will return and have compassion on them and will bring them again every man to his heritage and every man to his land. And it shall come to pass if they will diligently learn the ways of my people to swear by my name, the Lord liveth, as they taught my people to swear by Baal, then shall they be built in the midst of my people. But if they will not obey, I will utterly pluck up and destroy that nation, saith the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, again, we're grateful to be in your house this evening and just uh, grateful for the good day that it's already been. And Lord, your blessings and your grace that's been just applied to our life. And Lord, as we open up the scripture once more, we would ask that this would be a profitable time together and that it would not be me speaking to people, but rather it would be you speaking to your people through me. And so, Lord, I just ask that you would truly strengthen us together tonight as we study your scriptures. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for what you're going to do here this evening. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for standing. You know, if we were to read the previous section to this one, we would find that some men in Jeremiah's own hometown of Anathoth were actually conspiring to take his life. You know, under God's authority, Jeremiah was denouncing the sins of the nation and apparently some in his village took great offense at the way he was speaking and the way he was preaching to them. And they thought that it disgraced them in the eyes of the rest of the nation. Uh, being prideful individuals, they did not take too kindly to being disgraced. So they began to plot to, uh, you know, to take this, the life of this know-it-all preacher as they felt he was. And so when Jeremiah caught wind of this plot, it hurt. I mean, obviously it would. I mean, these were your countrymen. These were your neighbors. And, and so it hurt him and it concerned him greatly as it ought of. And, and so he brought his grief and his pain and his worries and his angst before the Lord. And so he comes to the Lord here in, in prayer. But I don't even know if we could call it really a true prayer other than he did address the Lord. It was more of a complaint. And sometimes that's the way we come to the Lord, isn't it? You know, it's not so much that we're looking for His grace or, you know, His mercy in our life. Sometimes we just want to vent. 
and, and we just want to tell him what for. And Jeremiah kind of seems to come at the Lord at that particular angle. And so Jeremiah seems to start off with praise, but it quickly fades away. He uses kind of the age old adage of giving a compliment before complaining about something. You know, it, it's like what the husband says, you know, honey, that dress is very colorful, but I don't know if it's for you or, you know, we, we absolutely, you know, if when your neighbor says, man, we absolutely love your family, but is there any way you can keep your kids off our lawn, you know, or, or, you know, great message pastor, but I do have a question concerning that one point, you know, it's, a, you know, it's that, that compliment that's right behind it comes the complaint. And so Jeremiah's was, he said, Lord, I know you're righteous, but some of your judgments don't seem to be too sound. And so he's, he comes at the Lord and says, I know you're righteous, but I'm not seeing it. You know, well, what's the problem here? So Jeremiah was complaining that if God were truly righteous, as he said he was, why was it that the wicked were prospering and he was suffering? You know, why should he be subjected to treacherous plots by men in his own village while they were allowed to grow in strength? You know, why did he have to endure such hardship when they were filled with such mirth? You know, Jeremiah, like so many of us, was having a difficult time just understanding how God could allow such at least seemingly injustices to exist when we know his character to be holy and just and righteous. And so God was having Jeremiah preach out against his people because they had broken the covenant that he had with them. You know, they had promised to be God's people, but they had forsaken him for other gods. Here, Jeremiah was kind of accusing God of almost the same thing. He was saying, God, you claim to be righteous and against the wicked, you claim to be someone who's going to bless our lives, but it certainly isn't looking that way. You know, it doesn't seem that's what I'm seeing when I look out here into the world. And so Jeremiah charged God with planting the wicked where they were and allowing them not only to grow, but to actually bear fruit. And, and certainly there was a lot of truth to this statement. You, you know, it was God that gave them breath. It was God that allowed them to have strength and to be put in the positions they were now in. It was God that placed them in their current area and gave them the influence that they had. But though God had given them all of these things, they still had no love for him. You know, they spoke about him with their lips. You know, they, they used God in their normal day-to-day -day interactions as far as speaking about him, but their heart was far removed from him. You know, they were much like the Pharisees of the New Testament. And, you know, we see, don't we? I mean, we struggle with this. We see how wicked some of our longstanding politicians are. We, we see how ungodly people make it big in business or sports or entertainment. Uh, you know, many of them will use God's name. But all you have to do is take a look at their lives and see that his, they have no real heart for him. It's all vanity. It's all vain. And so we see the influence that they wield. We see the prosperity that many of them get to joy. And sometimes we wonder where God's righteousness is in all of this, especially when we're not doing that way. When we're going through difficult times, when we're going through troublesome situations, when we're going through heartache and pain, and we're looking over here at someone that we can just tell not to have a judgmental spirit, but just by face value, recognize these people could care nothing about you. Why are they doing well and we are not? 
And so conversely, Jeremiah says that God knew him. He says, look, not only do I know that you know what they're doing, but he goes, you know what I'm doing. You know, God knew that Jeremiah's heart was pure, not that he was perfect, but that he was pure. And he knew that Jeremiah wanted to live his life in a manner that was holy. He knew that Jeremiah wanted to honor him and be obedient to his will. You know, when David wrote Psalm 1, he said that the godly man would be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. But the ungodly, they would be like the chaff which the wind driveth away. But this is not what Jeremiah was experiencing at this point in his life. He, he saw the wicked as the ones planted and bearing fruit. And he saw the righteous as the ones that were weak and about to be blown away. And so that's why Jeremiah propose, uh, proposed that God pull them out like sheep for the slaughter. He wanted God to destroy them and he wanted God to destroy them now. You know, his thought was, why should the land continue to suffer their presence one more day? And why should they be allowed to do any more damage that they've already done? And so upon hearing Jeremiah's complaint and upon hearing his plea, God answered his prophet. And in fact, he did so by breaking it up into three different parts. You know, God's first responded to Jeremiah's complaint and his plea by, by in relation to Jeremiah himself. You know, if we wanted to break down what Jeremiah was actually saying in his complaint and in his plea, it'd be something like this. Lord, you've got to do something. I can't take this anymore. You know, I can't keep worrying about whether this group is going to kill me, so I need you to kill them. I mean, that's really what he's saying. I, I mean, he's sitting there and I go, I cannot continue to live with this pressure day after day after day. I hear the rumors all the time. You ever had the rumors start to circulate around you and about you and, and there's nothing you can do. It's like you can't pinpoint exactly where it's coming from, but you hear the commotion. And that's the way he was living day after day. But this wasn't just rumors about they're not doing a good job. You know, maybe we should let them go or, you know, they're having, maybe we should, could move them from their position. No, this was rumors about his own assassination. And so he's sitting there, he goes, you know what it's like for me, Lord? I'm, I mean, I can't hardly sleep at night. I, I, I'm, I'm always, I have angst. I'm always worrying. He goes, how am I supposed to do what you would have me to do when this is always this burden just to continues to remain upon me day after day after day? And, and so Jeremiah was really not nearly as concerned with God's righteousness being upheld as he was of having this constant danger removed from him. You know, Jeremiah was much more concerned about how the current situation was affecting him than how it was affecting God. And so God's response was both, both unexpected, I guess we could say, and kind of chilling. Because he told Jeremiah that his situation was not going to get better. That's a bummer. <laughs> You, know, you go to the Lord and man, I've, I, I know, Lord, that you'll listen to me. You know, you're righteous. You, you care for your people. Hey, Lord, I've got this complaint. I, I, I need some help. OK, now what? you're waiting for the answer. And he says, Jeremiah, it's not going to get better. But then he didn't stop there. He said, it's going to get worse. 
And so he challenged his prophet by asking, he said, if you're having a hard time running with the footman, how are you ever going to keep up with the horses? If you're being wearied by mere plots against your life in your trusted homeland, how will you ever make it when you are in the wilderness of Jordan and there is danger on every side? See, Jeremiah needed to learn to trust God in the trials he was now experiencing, for God needed him to be prepared for even greater opposition down the road. You know, there's a reason why the military makes boot camp so blasted difficult. And the reason is because war is more difficult. They prepare in the one to get them ready for the other. And can I tell you, God does the same thing with his people. You know, sometimes he has us go through some very difficult times because he knows we are going to face even greater opposition in the future. You know, he is preparing us. He, he is hardening us. He, he is shaping us into the spiritual soldiers that we need to be. Now, we may not like that because none of us like to go through the difficult times. None of us like to go through the hardships and the pain and the suffering sometimes that comes into our lives. But this is just the truth of the matter. God said, Jeremiah, I want to do a great work in your life, but you're not ready for it yet. So therefore, I need you to go through this section so that you'll be prepared for this one over here. Jeremiah was struggling because people in his village were plotting against him. But God here informs him that his own kindred, even those in his immediate family, were doing the same thing. He, he didn't know that. They were speaking fair words to his face, but God revealed that they were gathering a multitude of people to come against him behind his back. You know, more and more Christians, I think, are bemoaning the ungodliness in America today. You know, we complain about how the nation is turning its back upon our Lord. We gripe about how no one respects authority anymore. We hate the licentiousness that is everywhere around us. We carp about how the liberal churches sometimes are having these record crowds and sometimes we're struggling where we're at. We hardly ever verbalize it, but our attitudes show that we are struggling with the judgments of God. You know, we are wondering why the wicked are prospering and why sometimes we're not. Now, I'm seeing this not just in Christians, but in the ministers of the gospel as well. You know, we are seeing a lot of men and their families leaving the ministry. A lot of pastors are stepping down from their positions and a lot of young missionaries are returning from the field after just one term. Most of them aren't leaving because their lives or the lives of their families are in danger like Jeremiah's was. They are leaving because it's hard. You know, many pastors watched their church attendance dwindle through COVID and has not returned since then. And they aren't seeing the same number of people saved and baptized as they did before. And they are, they are watching many of their ministries just kind of limp along. And they are often finding that the work is almost overwhelming sometimes. 
Uh, you know, young missionaries, they're, they're finding that a lot of people don't want to hear about their God that they're bringing across the ocean. And the people in some of these countries are not warm towards them and they're not friendly at all. And sometimes they are finding it difficult to adjust to their new surroundings and work with other missionaries there in the other area. And sometimes, you know, this stress, stress is just causing difficulties, not only within them, but sometimes in the relationship with their spouse. And they usually won't say it out loud, but they are struggling with the judgments of God. You know, why are they having such a tough time when it seems like many of the ungodly around them are not, are, are not you know, and that they're doing well and they're prospering. But if we can't handle these things, how are we ever going to make it when real persecution comes our way? You know, if I'm not mistaken, the Bible teaches that this world is not going to get better and better. Rather, it's going to get worse and worse. And if we can't handle running with the footman now, how will we ever be able to run with the horses in the future? You know, God was trying to get Jeremiah to understand that it was his place to keep the faith and to continue to move forward in his present sufferings. And it is our place to do the same. You know, Proverbs chapter 24 and verse 10 states, If thou faint in the day of adversity, thy strength is small. And the truth is, is what we're finding out far too often is that many Christians' strength, and like I said before, and even many ministers' strength is very small. Because now that difficulties have arisen, they're beginning to cave in and beginning to question God. And many of them are walking away completely disillusioned. And so the first thing we see here is God responded to Jeremiah in relation to him, to, to Jeremiah. But then God all goes on and he responds to Jeremiah's complaints in relation to himself. You know, Jeremiah did not realize it, but God had more at stake than he did. You know, Jeremiah wanted the wicked to be destroyed so that he could find personal relief. He was thinking only of how it would be a blessing to him to have these wicked individuals killed and removed so that he might be able to minister freely like he wanted to do. But by destroying the wicked, God was going to destroy his own house, his own heritage, and his own dearly beloved. He had nurtured the Jews for hundreds of years. It was he who had called out Abram from the land of the Chaldees. It was he who had kept them safe when they were small. He had delivered them from Egypt when they had been oppressed. You know, he had miraculously provided for them when there was nothing to be found in the wilderness. He had given them his laws so that they might prosper and live rightly before him. He had promised to be their God and they had promised to be his people. He had strengthened them so that they could accomplish miraculous things there and marvelous things which glorified his holy name. But far too often, especially in the recent years, he had been disappointed and frustrated with them. And they had turned their back against him to go after other gods. They were acting, as he says here, like a lion in the forest, roaring their defiance at him. They were like a bird with great plumage, you know, and their arrogancy. They were showing off for others, but it was drawing attention to themselves. But it was drawing the attention of the predators who wanted to end their life. And the pastors or leaders were mostly to blame for their situation. You know, they had led the masses away. 
They had caused God's people to turn from him and where they had, you know, uh, once produced fruits of righteousness in his name, they were now a desolate wilderness. And so therefore God had taken away their blessings, he says here. He had brought hardship into their lives and now he was going to allow the Babylonians to come and destroy his people completely. He was making an extremely hard decision. He was destroying those that he loved. You know, so often we think of the destruction of the wicked, we think only in terms of how it will affect ourselves. But it would do us good to consider how it affects our God. You know, when he destroys the wicked, he destroys those made in his image. When he destroys the wicked, he destroys individuals that he loves so much that he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross just for them. Is it any wonder that God said through his prophet Ezekiel, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. You know, how many times have we seen parents allow rebellious teens to stay in their homes when in our eyes they should have been turned out long ago? You know, it's, it seems easy because we haven't invested in those children. They're not, you know, they're not our flesh and blood. And so it's easy to sit on the sidelines and say, what are you doing? You know, don't stop giving in to them. Get them out of there, you know, kick them out. Make them become women and men, you know. And maybe that is what they should do. But can we put ourselves in the parents' shoes for a moment and to recognize how difficult of a decision that is for them? You know, we just see a punk teen or a college-aged person. They see someone that they love and someone that bears their name. There is nothing easy about making decisions that will negatively impact or possibly destroy people that you love. And God says, Jeremiah, can you not see it from my perspective here? I see why you want them gone, but can you see why I'm giving them another chance? And then finally, God responded to Jeremiah's complaint in relationship to his divine purpose and his divine plan. Though God was going to allow the Babylonians to, to take his people captive, he revealed there that there was coming a day when he would rescue them from his enemies, from their enemies. You know, he would have compassion upon them once more and he would give them back their heritage. He, in other words, he would return them to their land. Now, though they returned to their land 70 years after their captivity, this prophecy was not ultimately fulfilled at that time. Most of you probably know, but in 70 AD, they would lose their land once more. The Roman government would destroy Jerusalem and drive them from the area. Israel would not be a nation again until 1948. And so that was a major step toward fulfilling this prophecy. But in reality, it won't ultimately be fulfilled until the end times when the Jews will return to Israel in droves and will spiritually return back to God. You know, at that time, God is going to do a work in them whereby they will have a love and a longing once more for him and him alone. You know, through the prophet Ezekiel, he addressed his people and said, a new heart also will I give you and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh and I will give you a heart of flesh. And then later he spoke through Jeremiah and said, after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts 
and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people and they shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them and to the greatest of them saith the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. And so to the countries you know, at that time that will surround them during this time at the end times, God states that if they will learn from his people and swear by his name, then he will allow them to have a place with his own. He said they can enjoy some of this heritage. But if they won't learn from his people, he says there that he will pluck them up and utterly destroy them. And so God was just letting Jeremiah know that Jeremiah you know, I understand your complaint, but you have to understand something. I've got a plan. I know what I'm doing, Jeremiah. I've got this under control. A plan that is much bigger than you are. A plan that concerns not only yourself, but Israel and the entire world. And so therefore, Jeremiah needed to be patient and let God be God. He says, Jeremiah, you know, I've got a work that I have ordained and I do care deeply for you, Jeremiah, but I want you to understand something. I don't just care about you, Jeremiah. I care about everyone else as well. And I've got this plan and I'm bringing it about. And so we need to remember this. You know, as servants of the Almighty, we need to be willing to endure hardships and continue to trust our God. You know, we need to understand that there is much more going on than that, that which just affects us. You know, God has much at stake and he is carefully bringing his plan to bear. Our duty, though it is not easy, is fairly simple. We are to continue in obedience to him. We are not to quit we are not to become disillusioned, but rather we are to continue to stay in his word and remain faithful people who continue to move forward for our Lord. Because if we can't get in step with these footmen, we're never going to make it when the horses start to appear. And so I would encourage you, I have no idea what holds for our nation, for, our, you know, for, for this world, but I do know this, these are some chaotic times. In some ways, they're exciting to be around, and some ways, they're worrisome to be around. And there's many times, if you're like me, where you're like, whew, boy, I just don't know about this. And you feel tired, and you feel somewhat depressed, and you look out here, and it just seems like, man, the darkness just seems to be crunching against us, and it just seems to be coming in wave after wave. And I understand that sometimes we feel like we will not have the ability to stand. But again, where sin doth abound, grace doth much more abound. During this time, it is important that we lean upon our Savior and we do not trust in our strength, but in His and His alone. For He is the one that can make us like strong, like flint and hard as a stone where the water will break against us. And so God still has work for us to do. Do not despair he knows what he's doing and his plan is unfolding right before our very eyes. But we need to keep marching for him. And when the day comes, running with the horses. Let's stand.